without a doubt, my true passion project. And that is helping you to bring to life delivering yoga through technology, making it accessible to everybody. If I'm allowed to, you know, really tout our efforts. I mean, we're trying to democratize yoga. We want to make it available to everybody, at least everybody with a smartphone for now. And so um, in the form of a digital app, anybody with a smartphone will be able to tune in and practice yoga with Henry. That was Jarrett Christie, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, welcome and thank you. I'm stoked you're listening to this show, today's episode, and always. It's always my pleasure to have these conversations with yogis I admire about their path, their purpose, and their current direction in life. And I get even more joy out of sharing them with you all. So thank you again. This week, I have the extra special opportunity to share with you my interview with a very close friend and the co-founder of my latest endeavor, Henry Yoga. His background resonates with me so deeply that if you know me and my story, then I'm sure it will seem totally natural, maybe even inevitable that we linked up. But before we go there, I'll make my weekly appeal please subscribe to Dharma Talk. If you're listening to the show and you enjoy it, this is a surefire way to make sure that you get the newest episode released to you every Thursday. And also, if you enjoy the show, leave a rating and review and share this episode with a friend. And of course, if you have the financial means to make a donation, I always appreciate those. You can make a donation at henrywins.com donate. This week, I owe a big thank you and shout out to Sarah Shreed, all the way from Australia, for making a donation to support the show. Sarah, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and I wish you well all the way on the other side of the world. As usual, I have a handful of announcements to share with you before we get into the interview. The first one is very apropos for this episode, and that is the launch of my latest project, Henry Yoga. I created Henry Yoga with my co-founder, who is the subject of the interview this week. So you will hear a lot more about that in the interview. Apart from the app release, I would also like to announce a few workshops that I have coming up in New York before I move out in November. On October 26th and 27th, I'm doing a workshop on Saturday and Sunday at Living Yoga in Queens, backbending and handstanding. And then November 3rd, I'm doing a handstand training workshop at my home school of Lighthouse Yoga School. After that, Maybe we can sync up travel schedules, but for those workshops in New York, head over to henrywins.com events and sign up there. Yogis, if you are looking for the perfect way to wrap up 2019 and lay a golden foundation for a beautiful 2020 to come, then please join me and my wife, Veronica Lombo, for our seven-day retreat to Bali. We're calling it Divine Connection because that's our vision for this retreat, that you'll be able to take the time to step away from your typical environment, step away from your social conditioning and your responsibilities and get honed into the divine light within you. 
And how do we hope to achieve that? Well, every morning is going to begin with noble silence. This is prime time for self-reflection, self-inquiry, and inner work. Also, we will have a group meditation every day and two yoga classes, one more rigorous vinyasa class and one more restorative hatha class. We're going to take care of all the food for you. You'll be provided three vegan, plant-based, and refined sugar-free meals a day. And we've also got some exciting adventures and excursions lined up, all included. Basically, we have an amazing experience lined up for you, something totally transformative and empowering. You just have to get yourself to Bali and then we'll take you through the rest. If this sounds appealing, please head over to henrywins.com slash Bali and you can find all the details there. Okay, now back to the show. This week, I interview Jarrett Christie. Jarrett Christie at Jarrett NYC on Instagram is a yogi and health and wellness investor focused on female-founded startups. Prior to providing capital and advisory to entrepreneurs full-time, Jared spent 13 years as a trader on Wall Street. He credits yoga with helping him to break out of a conventional mold to find greater fulfillment in helping others with his business experience. In this conversation, we discuss the role a dedicated yoga practice played in Jarrett's awakening to his deeper purpose and the decision to step away from a lucrative and successful career on Wall Street. We also talk about investing resources and energy in mission-based startups that are working to raise the consciousness of the planet. Jarrett shares some of his own thinking around balancing analytics with intuition. In other words, knowing when to use logic and when to trust your gut when it comes to taking risks. And of course, we talk about the story and cause behind our project together, Henry Yoga, in which Jared flatters me to the point of embarrassment. So fortunately, this is an audio podcast and you won't see me blush. Henry Yoga is a 40-day, 40 minutes daily yoga program designed for anyone looking to level up their yoga practice. So check it out at henryyoga.com and you can even get the first two sessions for free. If you enjoy this interview, if you resonate with what Jarrett says, then please go to dharmatalk.show and type Jarrett in the search bar. That's J-A-R-R-E-T. And you'll find all the notes and links for this episode, including Jarrett's recommended book and the place to sign up for Henry Yoga. And of course, I've got a running list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. So if you are looking for your next read, head to henrywins.com slash books and pick one out. Without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Jarrett Christie. Jarrett, it's about time we do this. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Henry. I'm excited about it. Yeah, um, we've got a lot to talk about today, but as always, I'd like to start with the first opening question, signature question of the show. What does the word Dharma mean to you and what is your Dharma as you understand it today? You know, I've listened to enough of your podcast to hear some pretty exceptional guests answer this question. And so I've like adopted pieces of it, just, you know, less so in my verbal answer and more so in, in how I kind of try to approach it in my life. But something I've arrived at is that we really like these, um, we really like to have well-packaged black and white 
perceptions of things like what our duty is in this life. And, you know, the word Dharma to me means our purpose, you know, what our contribution is, what our unique talent is, what we can offer this experiment, if you want to call it that, to, to help others. And uh, I think it's productive to view it through the lens of black and white and to create a nice, well-packaged narrative for ourselves. It kind of gives us something to focus on. It also gives us a story to tell and a character to play a little bit, which, you know, can be either good or bad. But, um, you know, in, in that, through that lens, my dharma, as I've arrived at today, is just to help entrepreneurs, like people with unique talents and gifts who have a clear vision of how they're going to impact the world. I like to, uh, I like to think that I'm here to help them, you know, navigate capital markets in particular because of my background in uh, finance. And then, uh, which is advisory and assistance with vision and execution. Um, so for, for now, that's, uh, that's my dharma and, and also what occupies the majority of my time when I'm not uh, practicing yoga. Okay. Yes. This is a, a skill set that many people who have a vision for something that they want to do are totally in the dark about. So as someone who brings that kind of knowledge from your career in trading, what are you like how do you decide where to direct your resources not just financial but your energy and um you know your ability to contribute you know it's funny it's not like i see hundreds of candidates and then you know use some well-honed skill or like god-given ability to pick the right ones uh it's much more so that you know, be it the universe or just my network of friends, uh, presents me with, with the right people to work with. Um, I've just been really fortunate in that, uh, all the talented people that I've worked with so far have just kind of arrived on my doorstep naturally through, um, just everyday encounters or, you know, introductions through friends who kind of see a match between skill sets. And so it's been really natural and, and hasn't required too much, you know, analysis. I'm at the point now where I get a lot of pitch decks sent to me, um, call it, you know, weekly. And because of time constraints and capital constraints, I've been forced to, to turn some away, but you know, I would love, I've seen so many talented people with so many exciting products or service offerings. And, uh, you know, part of me, part of me doesn't want to take on more work for myself. Like I left the institutional investment world, which can, can be pretty demanding, like time wise and energy wise. Um, I left that, you know, so I could practice yoga more so I could not set an alarm clock in the morning and focus on the things that I truly love. Uh, but part of me is wondering if I shouldn't, you know, turn this new profession or whatever it is I'm doing into, uh, into something more institutional just to raise more capital so that I can say yes to everything and try to try to get money to everyone with a good idea and, and some passion for executing it. Well, I have to say that I'm, I'm not totally surprised by the first part of your answer where it's not that you were going out and actively seeking out people to invest in or projects to invest in, but rather that they appeared in, in your path because now we're really talking about Dharma, you know, it's, it's, it's the journey and how things tend to unfold. Our purpose tends to change over time, right? Our, our duty or our responsibility at any given time may be very different from what it was even a year before. 
No so, doubt. And you know, it certainly contributed to that for me. You know, the more I kind of dive into the practice and let things unfold naturally, the more synchronicity or the more, you know, natural fit I start to find in the things that do present themselves to me. I feel like all my encounters on a daily basis tend to be pretty um, meaningful and, you know, less random than they used to feel. So there, there's certainly that element to it. And it's nice to believe that the universe is kind of reinforcing what you're doing. The more true what you're doing is, is to yourself and to your you know beliefs. Yeah. So let's, let's go back. Give me, give me the contrast. Um, talk me through your, uh, your encounter with yoga and how, um, you moved away from your previous career in trading and wound up where you are now. So I was an athlete in college and kind of went through a variety of training modalities after college went to, um, went straight to wall street. It was like the height of the, uh, you know, pre-crisis bull market. They were just looking for everybody and anybody snuck me in the back door thinking that like athletes make good traders and decision makers. And I think there's some truth to that. Probably just, um, in my case, it was probably just a case of being from Canada, looking at this as a bit of a game and, uh, maybe putting a little less like, um, seriousness on the outcomes, I think actually made me decent at my job, just being less, you know, stressed out and, um, and concerned and a little more, uh, fun loving. And, uh, I was ambitious, but much of that, you know, stemmed from just being confident and not worried. And, and I think, you know, appearances are very important. And, um, I think I appeared well and was able to kind of make my way into this world of high stakes finance. Um, not necessarily on being either the most quantitative, uh, or, you know, even having the best people skills or anything like that, just more so in being like optimistic and, and enthusiastic. I think that goes a long way. And, uh, through, you know, not necessarily trial and error, but through trying the different things I liked within, uh, uh, the big bank that I started working at out of college, I got exposure to all these, you know, variety of different uh, investment types across commodities, currencies, equities, credit, all these different things. I kind of found my niche. Uh, it took a few years trying different things. I found that I really liked um, options trading. So trading like options on S&P 500, and I won't bore your audience with um, with the technicalities, but um, you know, focused on this kind of every day, everybody who works in finance, whether they even know it or not, their models are based on um, the S and P 500, which is the United States aggregate, um, aggregate benchmark for, you know, the 500 largest companies. And this is kind of like, you know, the first thing I think the majority of people globally check every morning. So I liked being at kind of, you know, at the crux of, of global finance. And I think, you know, there, there's uh, definitely some parallels to yoga there, but getting to like the essence, the source, the kind of main thing. So I ultimately I found myself really focused on, um, measures of risk around that, um, around that benchmark. And I'm probably at risk of boring your audience already, but that was, uh, I'm that following was, along. I'm tracking. Know, <laughs> great. So that's what I kind of eat, slept and breathed every day was this, you know, large liquid benchmark of risk and, and options trading and volatility trading around that. And, uh, and I liked it. I really enjoyed what I did, but you know, it didn't feel that purposeful to me. It felt like oh, I'm honing skills and I'm learning and it's exciting and there's you know huge sums of money involved and I'm meeting interesting people 
uh, and, you know, really intelligent people I get to talk to. And then kind of the, you know, the further along I got in my career, you know, you start to develop a bit of ego where I'm like, oh, there's, you know, a billionaire hedge fund manager on the other line, on the other end of the line, who's like, who cares what I have to say about this. And part of me thought it was hilarious and a joke. And part of me, you know, took some pride in it <laughs> and, and a large part of me enjoyed it, but it didn't feel that purposeful and meaningful to me. And at the same time, as I was kind of growing in my career, um, I was growing in my dedication to yoga. I started by just dropping into uh, yoga to the people in St. Mark's, um, I don't know, six years ago, something like that. And uh, no more, probably eight years ago. And that, that's not when I started a sincere yoga practice. That was when I just, you know, dropped into a few classes thinking that um, yoga could help fix my injuries or undo the damage that sitting at a desk was, was causing. We didn't have standing desks yet back then. And, um, and I liked it. I loved it. And it kind of spoke to me and I thought, oh, this is something I'd like to do more of. I didn't, you know, dive into it head first right away, but over the years, it kept kind of pulling me back and pulling me back. Now, in retrospect, I realized that my whole life, it's been kind of yoga has been pulling me in, or again, maybe that's just the nice, nicely packaged narrative I tell myself now, but either way, it's great. And, uh, <laughs> it pulled me back in It pulled me back in, you know, my practice increased in frequency over the years. Like I wish I could, you know, draw a chart of it for you, but it increased in frequency from, you know, once in a while to once a week to a few times a week to several times a week. And now it's, it's a daily practice. And the daily practice part started almost exactly two years ago when I moved to um, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I walked into lighthouse yoga studio, uh, spontaneously somebody uh, a friend of mine um jillian comstock who runs the meta earth institute in vermont had encouraged me to meet with a teacher in brooklyn named jared mccann and i thought okay that's great you know uh, please connect us and, and i'll meet with him at some point and then coincidentally you know weeks later i was walking by lighthouse studio i didn't even have my mat or shorts luckily i, I was like um appropriately dressed to do yoga and i popped in for a class that was about to start, it was a noon class and I practiced next to this man named Henry, Henry Winslow. And I was just like blown away by your practice. I was like, Whoa, this guy is an alien. Basically this guy's on the next level, whatever he's doing looks really interesting. And I don't know if you remember that conversation we had after the class, but we spoke for, I don't know, I probably took half an hour of your time just asking you questions about how you got so advanced in yoga and, and just kind of more personal questions. Like what, what do you do? What is it that interests you? What do you want to do now that you're this good at yoga? What are you going to do with this, you know, talent and platform that this creates? And, and, uh, you know, from, from there, from that point of that conversation, I just started coming pretty much every day to, uh, to practice with you, Jared, Rebecca, Rigi, all the amazing teachers there, Yoshio, Aaron, and, uh, just learned so much from all these different teachers and realized like, okay, this is, this is no longer just a supplemental form of fitness or, you know, a way to go and, uh, you know, tranquilize the mind or something like that. This is, this is a way of maintaining, you know, this is a way of evolving into a better life was kind of my, my takeaway. And so to, to answer, you know, the point of your question, I tried for a while to balance this life of like wall street by day, yoga by night, and, uh, you know, go check my soul in at the, uh, at the, um, subway turnstile every morning and then collect it on the way back into Brooklyn and then go do my yoga practice. And, and that's not to say that, you know, m my job was soulless or something like that. I really enjoyed, um, working with the people I worked with. I was fortunate to work with kind of a, 
uh, towards the end of my career, I ran a trading desk at a smaller independent research firm with some really smart people who had gotten away from the typical Wall Street model. And we had a really nice thing, but it was, it became increasingly difficult to do that, like to live kind of two separate lives, if I can call it that. Not that I couldn't, um, not that I couldn't apply um, yoga principles to my day job, um, just that it was difficult to, you know, you don't remain the same person and people notice when you don't remain the same person. And for whatever reason, people like you to remain the same person, you know, be it your family or friends or whatever, they get a little bit, um, you know, people get put off if you start to change. And uh, I was noticing that. And at this point I had learned from you and, and Jared and, and Tony really that, you know, surrendering and allowing what is, is, is a much better path than, you know, trying to resist and control and create outcomes. And so I just uh, took it as feedback and over time naturally kind of phased my way out of um, the business that I had started and was running. Uh, I phased my way out of it in, in a really amicable way. And I think, you know, yoga really helped me with that. I was kind of unemotional throughout the negotiation process and, uh, and you know, stuck to what it was that I wanted. And, and, it, and it worked out nicely. And I, totally credit um, my yoga practice with that. So while at times it seems scary, like, oh God, what am I doing? I'm becoming a crazy cult member where I'm like giving up my hard earned, you know, status in, in, uh, in society or in, uh, in the finance trade for uh, a yoga practice. Like there's definitely moments of fear like that, but you know, generally I kind of had the sense that the outcome would be good. And that so long as I'm kind of following my passion, it doesn't matter if the outcome is quote unquote good or bad, the process will be good and the experience will be, will be good or will be beneficial to me or just, you know, natural or, or, you know, what is meant to be effectively. And, and that's still where I stand today, you know, irrespective of how, um, you know, my personal investments and business endeavors turn out, uh, I couldn't be happier with just having, had the opportunity to practice yoga every single day and meet, you know, exceptional entrepreneurs. Yeah. I mean, that really rings true with me also yoga, giving you the equanimity to be able to deal with difficult situations, stressful situations, because it helps you recognize that whatever outcome arrives, it's going to be okay. So I, I, you know, that's, that's a really powerful takeaway to get from your yoga practice. And I hope that, I hope that everyone eventually has, um, has that lesson and is able to take that with them. You mentioned Certainly. that, that when you were on sort of on the way out, when you were getting closer to feeling the need to resign from that part of your life, that you felt that other people were, um, were noticing that you are no longer the same person and that they were resistant to that. What do you mean? Like, go, let's get specific. What did you notice about a change to your identity or the way that you were presenting that you felt other people were, were noticing also? Well, at the most obvious level, when you stop shaving and cutting your hair, people notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, more so, you know, demeanor and behavior wise, you actually become more attractive is what you realize even to, you know, somebody who's living, let's say, you know, entirely not in harmony with yogic principles, somebody who's living a, you know, a toxic lifestyle, not, I was fortunate enough not to be surrounded by people like that, but there certainly are people like that in, in uh, my former industry and in all industries, but you know, people who let's say were just a little more, um, 
out of harmony with, with their body and with their spirit and maybe with others as well. Uh, you know, I would notice, uh, actually that people did want to be around me more, but you know, the only way people know how to socialize, and I think this is true for most industries, apart from probably the, the yoga and fitness industries is, uh, they, they want to, they want to drink together. They want to go out for drinks and they want to, and I just, you know, I just dropped that entirely. I was just like, I no longer go out for drinks and, and you know, to their defense, that is a selfish, you know, I can see why they would view that as, as selfish behavior. Like you no longer socialize with the team or you no longer partake in the kind of, you know, traditional rituals of the industry. Um, you're making a bit of a statement and I can, I can understand why people would interpret that as selfish, but it's what I needed to do. And so that was kind of the, that was probably the biggest point of contention was that I just no longer went out, you know, whining and dining with uh, colleagues and, and clients as much as they would like. And, and I didn't like to travel as much because selfishly I was in that phase and I'm probably still in that phase of my yoga practice, which I know you went through cause we've discussed this, but where I just needed my routine, I needed, you know, my same yoga shala, my same pack of teachers and, you know, a similar practice, uh, every day and, uh, traveling wasn't really conducive to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I like the way that you put that about, it wasn't just like, Oh, I don't drink anymore. You recognize like, I'm not going to participate in this ritual because that's why it's so meaningful to, to, yeah. to the people who are participating. But, um, well, there's an age of expression that misery loves company. And, and I don't want to suggest for a second that, you know, people are miserable. I just want to suggest that, you know, people enjoy medicating together, even if that, you know, form of medication isn't, isn't particularly productive in my view. Yeah. Right. And, and yoga does give you more power of individuation. I find at least that's, that's my experience that it helps you to recognize like what is serving you and what is not. And it makes it a lot easier to cut out the things that don't. Big time. I mean, and that applies at a broader level to, I, I think I heard this from you and I think you're quoting Dharma Mitra, but do, do the yoga and all else is coming. It's like, you know, I'm worried about my alcohol intake. I'm worried about my sleep. I'm worried about my relationships with others. I don't know anything that, you know, people worry about, about their lifestyle. And the more I dove into the yoga practice and just went and did the postures and breathed with intention and listened to the instructor's cues, you know, the more the other problems resolve themselves. It's not so much that they resolve themselves as, you know, I resolve them with action, but I didn't have to like sit there and plan and contemplate how I would do that. It just, you know, arose more naturally and kind of fits into the point I was making earlier about just finding some, I don't know, synchronicity yeah. or harmony with, with your own life in the universe. Yeah, totally. Dharma has a lot of great quotes, but I think the one that you're thinking of is practice and all is coming, which is founder of Ashtanga Yoga, Patabi Joyce. Okay. Thank you. I, I should, uh, that properly cause I use it often. It's just such a, I mean, it's such a truism. Yeah, totally. It's, it's very, uh, apropos in, in many situations, but it's hard to understand until you experience it. You know, it sounds yeah. like just some kind of, you know, woo thing that a yoga teacher says, but you know, once you, once you experience it, it really clicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yoga is is an experiential practice. I mean, that's an, that's another one of Patavi Joyce's quotes. This is ninety nine percent practice, only one percent theory. Love that. I totally love that. Sometimes I use it as a crutch, though. Like you know, I got a. I'm halfway through Hatha Yoga Pratipika for a year, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
too much time doing it. I don't have time to read. You know, it can be a bit of a crutch. But, yeah, yeah. Um, I do, I do like, well, I do like it, with, and I think there's a lot of people. with something as vast and uh, and deep as as yoga. One percent is still a lot. <laughs> totally. There you go. I like that. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk a little bit about um, what you're doing now as a health and wellness investor. Uh, what are some of the companies that you've um, felt a meaningful connection to and decided to uh, decided to contribute to? Well, uh, one in particular that you know well because I know you like the product is um, is uh, Koku ice cream. It's actually undergoing a rebrand right now. We'll have a new name soon, but uh, it's a it's a coconut based um, ice cream that we serve in Whole Foods. It's got no dairy and no sugar. So it's, you know, I would say it's ethical and healthy or as healthy, as healthy as you can get in ice cream. And I feel good about that. You know, it's kind of like everybody's enjoyed ice cream since the time of being a kid. Why should it be, you know, at all toxic for you? Why don't we make it so it's something that can be, you know, thoroughly enjoyed um, and without any kind of negative health ramifications. So I feel good about that one. Um, and also I just really like the product and, and the founder is a good friend of both of ours. Um, and so, you know, the more... I like supporting um, female founded businesses for whatever reason. That's kind of been my niche. Um, I had a girlfriend years ago who was just kind of really talented, had really good vision and started a, a, a beautiful um, coconut based uh, beauty company. And uh, that was kind of what enabled me to get the look on subsequent um, product rollouts. So naturally, you know, a coconut ice cream kind of, appeared to fit my wheelhouse, I guess. And so I would get to look on things like that. And, uh, it's just funny how, you know, one catalyst can kind of create, um, can in my case really created like a whole new path for, for my professional life. Um, I'm looking now at some really interesting things like, uh, a mushroom tincture for, you know, health and vitality. I think it's a product you use as well called rainbow. Um, yeah, and Tanya has been a guest on the show. Yeah, that's right. Tanya did, did, did the Dharma Talk podcast and she's just an inspiring human. And the more people I can find like that, where um, I think, you know, they have an exceptional product and uh, and it's novel and um, and I believe in the abilities of the founder. Those are kind of the, the key ingredients. Um, you know, if if it's female founded or minority founded, uh, even better, I'll always weight those opportunities um, more heavily. And then, you know, the, the, it goes without saying, but the, um, the intent has to be, you know, ethical and aligned with, um, you know, conscious lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, something that maybe, maybe you're aware of this or maybe you're less aware of this, but as someone looking from the outside to me, like the strongest through line is, is the intention even more than any sort of qualifying criteria that you might be looking for to, to make sure that it's a strong investment. It's like, is it going to match up with, with your values, which seem pretty clear to me, like you're trying to make products simpler and healthier and yeah, more conscious. Totally. And there's, I mean, it's a cool industry. It's funny. A lot of people ask me like, how'd you go from trading options to, you know, essentially VC investing or startup investing? I'm like, well, there's a ton of parallels. You know, these things look like, I won't explain, I won't, I won't bother, you know, explaining the, the intricacies of options, but, you know, 
you buy a call option and you're either getting, you know, none of your money back or you're going to get a big return on your money. And that's what venture capital investing looks like as well. And just in this area of like household goods and, and consumer packaged goods, there's so there's still countless things ripe for disruption. I mean, most of the obvious ones have been done already and there's been big winners in the, in those categories, but it feels really symbiotic when you feel like, okay, you're getting people a healthier product. A lot of it is just stripping out all the crap and toxins that have been put into products, you know, in order to maximize profits and, uh, and bringing people kind of just real ingredients. So everything from like dental floss to beauty to, um, cooking staples, um, you know, our yoga mats, all, all these products can just be made much more sustainably and, uh, and with way better, you know, with way fewer, uh, dent- detrimental, um, health elements like your yoga mat. They used to be made out of like, you know, toxic plastic that you're breathing in deeply when you're practicing asana and now, <laughs> You know, like our friend yeah. uh, Xenia at Anande, she has these beautiful, fully biodegradable mats. And, uh, you know, my take on a lot of these things is, and I'll use uh, Xenia's mats as an example, like right now they call these uh, eco yoga mats or biodegradable yoga mats. It's like, I think it's a matter of months or, you know, maybe it's a year or two away. They'll just call them yoga mats. Like that will be the standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, you see that as being the trend right now because it, it basically is required. It's a cost of entry for a yoga mat company to be able to say, oh, it's sustainable. So much so that it's almost kind of become a throwaway word where we need to define it better. For sure. And, you know, people love to complain about um, greenwashing and all this kind of stuff. And, and I don't knock them. There's a lot of that that goes on. But my takeaway is always <clears throat> just like, well... If we're at the stage where there's a bunch of greenwashing going on, that's a good sign because it means the consumers where all the power is held with their voting dollars are demanding that something at least be labeled eco, you know, now, whether they're trusting companies that are lying to them, that's maybe the next iteration that we'll improve upon. But right now, you know, we're there where consumers are demanding better health or safer, more harmonious with, you know, just ecology and the environment, they're demanding products that fit those um, parameters. Something that you've said to me before that I would love for you to expand upon now is that one of your skills that you developed in your trading career that you feel is serving you now is the ability to spot a trend. To, To what degree do you think, to what degree is your trend spotting data driven and to what degree is it something inexplicable, something more like intuition? Yeah, that gets into a really interesting concept. Um, so when people talk about trading in general, they're often, they'll often say like, oh, you know, he's a highly quantitative trader, meaning he relies on a ton of models and data, or he trades from the gut, meaning that, you know, he just kind of goes with what he feels. And you know, the problem with, with the latter is that like, there's a lot of room for fraud and fudge factor and whatever, you know, it's just like, oh, my gut told me. But, you know, if we look, if we kind of dig down to what underlies both of those things, they're not that different. You know, you have an internal algorithm that processes information. Uh, they might be, it might be less specific and less identifiable. Like it, it, sometimes, you know, some of the best investors, they don't even know how to verbalize what it is um, that goes into their process. 
people like Ray Dalio, who, who I think you and I both, um, you know, really admire as an investor and as like a kind of a businessman and person who's sharing their model, he tries to break it down into, you know, principles and really like systematic formulaic models so that he can share it with others and other people can apply it and we can kind of improve the system as a whole. But in, in my investment process, uh, you know, once you start surrendering to the universe, so to speak, or, you know, you become, you know, as deep as, as I've gotten into yoga at this point where you're kind of, you know, I, I almost want less information. It, it sounds kind of, um, sounds like, you know, you're at risk of hubris, but I almost like, there's so much noise out there. There's so many news headlines. There's so many, there's so much data. There's so many different opinions from equally smart people on the same topic and they can have the totally polar opposite opinions. Like that's not that helpful to me. Um, so I've started to rely a little bit more on this idea that I've built a sound internal algorithm that's yielded some positive results. I don't know if it's statistically significant at this point, but I'll pretend it is, you know, I have enough observations to at least believe that I'm okay at this. And, uh, and now I kind of rely on that. And that doesn't mean that there's not informed and specific, you know, inputs that drive my model. It just means that, um, you know, what I'm fearful of is if I'm running a highly quantitative model is that people can solve for like anybody who's pitching me, anything can solve for my model. They can tell me, Oh, the growth looks like this. And this is how many units are going to be sold. And this is where, you know, consumer trends are expected to be in 2022. So because of that, you should invest in this. And those are all important supporting data points. And I definitely want to see what projections and analysis from quote unquote experts um, look like, but you know, at this point, I think because if, if I'm allowed to say this, I'm at kind of the forefront of health and wellness in certain ways, you know, on the investment side, um, I think I have some experience on the yoga side, much less experience. I'm, I, I still very much consider myself, you know, a novice, not, not quite new to the practice, but not yet, um, you know, not yet with like a wealth of experience. But if I combine those two things, it puts me in a unique part of the distribution and, uh, and gives me, you know, what I see is some kind of perceivable edge. Um, also my research background, uh, and, and the, the last firm I worked at was, you know, the leading macro research firm on wall street. So I definitely learned a ton from working with these really bright analysts across like monetary policy, um, political policy, macroeconomic analysis, portfolio analysis. I, I, even just through osmosis, working with these people every day and kind of turning their work into trade ideas, I was able to, um, develop some, some pretty, um, tangible skills around, you know, trend identification. And so when I combine, um, you know, those two, let's call them, uh, quantitative and more emotional models. Um, I think it, it does give me some unique edge. That's not to say that, um, all my ideas and investments are going to be successful. That's not to say that any of them are going to be successful, but it does, uh, make me feel like I'm qualified to, to, uh, at least take a shot at it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think your reasoning is very sound and hearing you talk through it also just, it shows that you have a level of self-awareness and an ability to reflect that will keep you 
kind of grounded in, in the ability to pivot. You know, if, if it isn't working, then you're not going to become emotionally tied to something that's holding you back. You'll be able to change. Totally. And that, that's what I aspire to anyway, whether I'm there yet, I have no idea, but that's definitely what I aspire to. Can I give you an example of, of a trend that like, Please. I, I love right now. So, you know, this will, this will be nothing new to your listeners, but we have to remember that we're kind of, uh, in a unique, um, slice of the population if you're listening to Dharma talk. But, uh, you know, for instance, there's people who still think the concept of a plant-based diet or a plant forward diet doesn't mean you have to be exclusively eating plants. You just eat less meat and more plants. There's people who think that that is like a fad when, you know, it couldn't be more obvious that that is a long-term trend. Meat consumption down, plant consumption up, like two simple lines. And when you can, and that's just, I use that just as one example of, of several where you can say like, okay, the market has things priced this way. I know that the, all right, I, I'm strongly convinced that the reality is um, this way. There you go. There's a source of alpha, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's totally clear to me also, but you're right. It, it, we have a, uh, I mean, maybe we in this segment of, of the market or the population, however you want to look at it, we are on the leading edge of that because we were exposed to it before it, be, it took off past that like uh, inflection point. But the people behind the curve exactly. don't the see how quickly it's moving. Right. Right. And then you get an IPO of impossible meat or whatever. And it's just like, you know, then you see the greed really take over and, and maybe it goes too far the other way in, in you know, one particular example. Um, but that doesn't mean that the entire space is crowded and overpriced. It just means that, you know, mainstream, mainstream interest has finally been peaked and like, and then the, the dollars flow. It's like in yoga, wherever you put your concentration will uh, you know, develop and improve. Well, the same goes with uh, capital markets, whatever becomes the focus of investors will quickly get funded and quickly uh, proliferate. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm very happy to be engaged in a project with you. Um, you have such a business savvy and, you know, we clicked right away, not just from that conversation where we practice next to, next to one another, but, you know, we became fast friends and I asked you about the things that I knew that, you know, you were a pro at that engaged me and interested me. And, um, you asked me about yoga and we just became, you know, pretty much inseparable very quickly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what we're working on together. Yeah. Um, I will just say I was, I remember being shocked at, I was like, whoa, not only is this guy so superbly good at yoga, he really understands business. Like the questions you would ask me were like, you know, showed a really advanced level of understanding. Now I shouldn't be surprised given your education and that you had some experience in, in the marketing world. But, uh, I do remember that like really kind of catching me off guard almost. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, how should we do this? Maybe, why don't you introduce the, the project that we're doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this relates to your question about projects I'm most excited about right now. This is without a doubt, my true passion project. And that is helping you to bring to life, um, delivering yoga through technology, making it accessible to everybody, you know, if, and I can really, if I'm allowed to, um, you know, really, tout our efforts. I mean, we're trying to democratize yoga. We want to make it available to everybody, at least everybody with a smartphone for now. And so, um, in the form of a digital app, 
uh, you viewers, anybody will be able, anybody with a smartphone will be able to tune in and practice yoga with Henry. Awesome. Yeah. It has been, you know, that has been such a goal of mine ever since I started teaching was how can I teach more people? Like there's, there's a limit when you're teaching privately or even teaching a group class. Like, yeah, maybe you can teach at a festival and teach 300 people, but technology Mm -hmm. is this powerful hand of God that we have right now. And, um, and we have to leverage all the tools that we have if we feel that our contribution and the thing that we're sharing is meaningful. So it was a no brainer for me. And I was so happy to hear that you had an idea that was, um, it was right on target with that as well. Uh, I remember the conversation vividly, just being like, you know, Henry, I really think that you're here with a purpose. Why not scale this? And you're like, I thought I've think about this every day. How do we scale it? And it was a very natural, uh, it was far and away the most natural, you know, beginning to a business endeavor that I've ever experienced. So, you know, at the time of this recording, we are right at the finish line of getting the app out there. But by the time this podcast airs, um, it'll be available. So for people who are listening and like interested, you know, thinking, okay, there's a yoga app out there. Henry's teaching on it. What, what is the difference between this and the many other online purveyors of yoga content? Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, you and I were did a great job of triangulating what the market niche was. I think once we'd established that, like, okay, Uh, there is no doubt in my mind that Henry is on this earth with a mission. Why else would somebody at the age of 20 born in Virginia dive headfirst into yoga, eat, sleep, breathe it for a decade, uh, you know, with very little, with very little indication of any ego driver or anything like that. Clearly this person is here on a mission and, uh, okay, let's scale it and get it to people. Next, we need to find, you know, what niche is available? How do we make this a viable business concept? And again, it was just so natural that there's a lot of platforms out there um, showing, you know, beautiful people doing beautiful yoga in beautiful places, which is awesome because it's really good PR for yoga as a whole. I think the whole world would really benefit from, um, you know, global citizens doing yoga and taking up a yoga practice. So I'm a, a huge champion for any kind of um you know, effort to spread yoga. But what I, what was clearly missing was, you know, let's say I have a yoga practice or I go to yoga from time to time, or I'm even a regular practitioner, but I want to take my yoga practice to the next level. I want to get serious about it. I want to do yoga like they do, uh, you know, at lighthouse, at Dharma, at these, uh, three jewels at, uh, yoga to the people at these places where they're teaching, um, I guess I can use the word authentic yoga. I hope I can use the word authentic yoga. Um, and, and, and more than authentic, what's important is that it's earnest. It's really trying. It's not just coming and stretching and sighing and feeling good, which is fine. I'm, I'm, I'm again, I'm, you know, very supportive of people doing anything on a yoga mat, but you know, what about the people who want to go deeper, who want to like really affect change in their life and the lives of others, try to find what their purpose is, get better at whatever it is that they're doing, whatever it is that their purpose is and, uh, and, and just feel, you know, a higher baseline level of joy and fulfillment in life. Where's the program for them? And it wasn't obvious that it existed. And it was obvious that you had the ability to create a program for that. So, you know, when I think when I 
tasked you with the idea of um, coming up with, you know, what is the shortest amount of time because people like short sound bites and conveniently packaged things. What is the shortest amount of time in terms of the number of days and, and time commitment per day that you think somebody could really elevate their practice, you know, either develop the foundation for a lifelong practice, something that they can use and take with them everywhere, or if they're already, you know, a yoga teacher or uh, an experienced practitioner that could just get them to the next level, doing their advanced postures, kind of refreshing their entire pra practice and, um, you know, feeling like they can uh, take on the world and, and make a difference. And, uh, you know, I was very impressed with with the program you came up with around that. And maybe you want to share with the listeners, uh, you know, how it is you came up with that program and, and specifically what it is. Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, I have to say thank you. <laughs> and I'm, I'm flattered by the, like the vision that you saw for me. Uh, it's always, uh, it's always eye opening to hear someone else give their perspective on you as someone who's, you know, rel relatively recently exposed to you. Especially um, when you're just head down doing the thing, which is clearly what you've been yeah. doing for 10 years. I don't think you've been too concerned with others' perceptions of you. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's probably nice to hear some feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say also that, um, I do think that my experience with yoga practice has been exactly what we're hoping to achieve with this program, which is that it gave me clarity to recognize what I should be doing. And I don't think that every person who takes up a yoga practice is going to get the same um, epiphany that I did, which is like, oh, I want to be a yoga teacher and share this practice with others. Right. I do think that practicing yoga with sincerity and, uh, and commitment and discipline does give you clarity into what it is that you would like to do and helps you to do it better. So that's my purpose for doing this. The deepest purpose is I want everyone who is feeling lost to help get on the right direction for them. And for those who are not lost, who feel that they have the right sense of direction, I want them to be able to operate better and to do it less selfishly, more selflessly, and just contribute to the collective evolution of mankind. It's a, it's an oh, ambitious yeah. goal, but and that's what it's about. Beauty, the true beauty of that point you just made is so important. There is symbiosis to this experiment, to this universe. It's, you know, if you're the most self-serving person, you're going to go serve others because that is the most direct way to feel that sense of, you know, purpose and, and, uh, intention and, and not feeling lost like you're describing. And I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off. I'd like you to, to continue about the program if you could. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but that is an interesting point. Uh, self selfishness and selflessness, the, the, this false opposition tends to melt together when you do yoga, because that's what unity is. Uh, we recognize well, the, we recognize the self and others. Big time. And it makes you recognize that there's a lot more order and a lot less chaos to this world than you thought or than I thought anyway. Mm -hmm. The program is 40 days. Uh, 40 days is the amount of time that it takes to establish a habit that was very intentionally chosen uh, because if we can inspire people who have a here and there weekend warrior type approach to yoga to get uh, consistent about it, that's when the change happens. So 40 days is the amount of time. Any much more than that, it could potentially seem intimidating. And any less than that, we risk having people just 
do another program that they forget about. Uh, and then every day the practice is 40 minutes. Again, this is another sweet spot that we found or believed, you know, it's, it's a bit of an assumption. We'll see when it goes out in market, if how people feel about it, but 40 minutes to me felt like the right amount of time where it could be a complete comprehensive practice where we move through all of the different types of postures, all the different movements of the spine, um, and release tension throughout the whole body and still be able to do a little pranayama and, uh, and have that release that, that, moment of peace and bliss and Shavasana afterward. Um, any longer, again, we risk having it seem intimidating and, uh, and not having it feel realistic to fit into someone's life who is busy. And this program is not for the renunciate, you know, this, this program is for someone who's living their life and is looking to find clarity amidst the chaos. Right. Right. By definition, it's an accessible program. That is the point. And, you know, that's difficult to work with, especially when you know as much as you know, uh, when you know the depths or, or, the, or the deeper levels of, of a yoga practice. It, I'm sure it's challenging at times to keep it a slightly more superficial in order to remain, you know, accessible. But I, I feel like you've done such a good job of recognizing that the ultimate goal is, um, you know, the proliferation of yoga, that the teachings aren't yours, they aren't anybody's, and you've just become a really, you know, I don't know, you've become a really impressive conduit for the teachings of, of yoga. And if the feedback so far from, you know, the trial group is any indication, you're going to change a ton of lives. I mean, it's, it makes me so happy to hear things from friends of mine who are, I don't know, going through a divorce, who have back problems, who are overweight, who uh, feel unfulfilled you know, despite having thriving careers, it, it, nothing makes me happier than hearing these people who I like, I know, and I'm close to, uh, give feedback that, you know, this program has been nothing short of life changing for them, uh, really makes me feel like, like we're onto something. Yeah. I feel, I feel really good about it too. Um, yeah, it, it does. It, it's meant to be accessible to all be, and there's a reason for that. The, the reason is I believe that the the practice is applicable to all. So it, it shouldn't be false limitations on who should do it. It's not like you need to be flexible. You know, it's like the classic, like, oh, I can't do yoga because I'm not flexible. Well, that doesn't really matter. First of all, you'll get more flexible from doing the program or practicing yoga in general. But second of all, that's not the purpose of yoga. The, the purpose of yoga is to transcend the body, to transcend even the mind and mm -hmm. to come closer to a more permanent sense of identity, the identity with that, that feeling of peace. You know, some call it the spirit, some call it the soul, some call it even God, um, source, the source within. And, uh, yoga is pretty special. I, I don't know anything else that um, so efficiently and so quickly taps people in. Um, I know that there are other ways to do it. There are many paths that lead to source, but this is the one that has changed my life. So I feel that it's my obligation, my duty, my dharma to expose as many people as possible to it. And, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're trying to do. Well, I admire you so much for doing it. And um, I appreciate that you say we, but this is really uh, you teaching people, doing every single posture, while talking, while breathing, flawlessly. We filmed everything in one take. I mean, I, I don't want to you know, make you blush on your own podcast, but it was really something else to watch you um, 
film, this content, and and then just watching you evolve from Henry, the super impressive practitioner, to Henry, the leader and teacher and sharer of knowledge. It's, uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it seems divine to me. And uh, obviously, I'm your biggest fan. So I'll stop gushing. But um, it also comes back to the idea, you know, of symbiosis, um, uh, you know, between what I, the point I was making about, you know, the self-serving individual and, and the entirely selfless individual, they kind of meet at the same point in, in serving others because that's what leads to fulfillment and happiness. At least that's where I've arrived at. And, uh, you know, that applies also to the kind of yoga seeker. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, you mean I can get ripped from yoga? Like I can get whatever, six-pack abs or I can get a fit butt or whatever it is people want these days. Um, you know, if that draws you to yoga, great. You're coded with those things like vanity and even greed and these things for a reason. You're a divine being. You're not evil. Use these things. Make partners with them like your ego. Make partners with them and use these tools. Uh, you know, they could be guiding you. And if that's what gets you to the yoga mat, well, then we go back to your um, – the Tabby Joyce quote of uh, practice and all else is coming. You start practicing for vanity reasons, the reason won't matter, call it 40 days later. The reason will not matter. You might not even remember the reason because all of a sudden your whole life is going to be different. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I often say that the reason people start practicing is rarely the reason they continue. Certainly the case for me, you know, I, I started because I was looking for something to make up for lost time off the diving boards when I was a springboard diver. And man, if I had even a clue of what would unfold, then, um, I mean, I don't know, it, it probably, maybe it would have changed what I did maybe not, but I certainly didn't. I certainly had no idea how much deeper I could go with this and, I love it. I, you know, I'm so yeah, grateful for the practice. It's, it's fair to say you took a deep dive, Henry. It's fair to say. It's fair to say. <laughs> All right, Garrett. Apart from getting your message out on this podcast, apart from talking with me, what are you doing today to live your dharma? You know, just trying to help people where I can. It used to be that I wanted to see the best deals and best business ideas. And, you know, I would use an opportunity like this to kind of solicit more of that. But at this point, um, I'm kind of at capacity for the time being. Maybe if I do something a little more formal and institutional and get some more capital, I'll be again trying to open that pipeline. But for now, uh, just trying to like meet people where they're at, help people, um, judge less. You know, something that yoga has helped me with a lot is like, for better, or for worse, having an analytical mind, you tend to categorize and label and um, your mechanisms for categorizing and labeling or one's mechanisms for categorizing and labeling aren't always great. They can sometimes be rooted in, you know, the biases of your parents and, and the society in which you're raised. Uh, and so I'm just trying to break all that down, spend more time with people who are different from me, like, you know, economically, um, culturally, uh, ability wise, you know, just meet like, I'm ready to meet people from all different walks of life. And I can't say that, you know, I felt like that, um, my whole life. That's, that's pretty new. And so, you know, rather than trying to find the next, you know, awesome entrepreneur to fund, like I can just go find somebody in my neighborhood who can use some advice and help when they're down and, uh, spend a little more time doing things like that. It, it makes me feel good these days. It makes me feel like, um, you know, going back to that concept of Dharma not being totally black and white and not necessarily fitting these like really tight narratives that we like to create. Um, you know, sometimes you don't even know, 
you, you might not even know what your dharma is, but I assure you, you know, you have a purpose and it's there. So just, uh, I'm trying to just do more, um, kind of grassroots things that make, make, look, it's selfish. It makes me feel good. So I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> We're doing it. We're doing it. All right. Well, let's move on to the final section of the interview. We're going to wrap things up with the prana round. Rapid fire questions. Please answer minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay. Oh God, I'm so nervous. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Uh, union. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? For pure pleasure, I'll take Sphinx pose. Interesting choice. Interesting choice. I wouldn't have guessed that. Just tractioning the spine. There's, there's like nothing better you can do to expand your universe than traction your spine, I think. What is the single best cue or piece of advice you've ever received from a yoga teacher? Oh, this one... I'm going to give credit to Jared for this one. Exhale completely. I love hacks and heuristics and that's the perfect one. You know, you can explain to people how to breathe properly through a bunch of different ways. I promise you, if you complete your exhale, you will breathe deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I can't tell you how many people have answered this question with some variation of breathe. That's the right. most important thing you can do. Well, it's the crux of existence, right? It's at, the, it's at the center of all that we do is breathing prana. Connect to life. Okay, recommend one book, modern or ancient, for our audience. I guess since I already mentioned it, I'll go with the Hatha Yoga, Hatha Yoga Pratikika. That's kind of been a bit of a Bible. I'm embarrassed to say I haven't finished it yet. It's a dense read. It feels a little more like studying at times than reading for pleasure, but... Uh, I, I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in yoga. Is yoga for everyone? I don't love that question. Like who, you know, I would never say no, it's not for certain people, but like clearly it's not because not everyone's doing it. So yes, it's available for everyone, or at least I would love for it to be available for everyone. And I think, you know, irrespective of the ability of your body, you can do some form of yoga um, if you're alive and breathing. But uh, I mean, not everyone's doing yoga, so no, it's clearly not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very practical answer. I like it. Uh, how can our audience get in touch with you, and how can we support you in your dharma? Um, support Henry. That's the best way you can, you know, that's the best cause I can see for affecting change in the world right now is go and do Henry's 40-day online yoga program through the henryyoga.app. That is the Instagram handle, at henryyoga.app. Go and check that out. Send it to friends. Get people who are curious about yoga, who need yoga, get it to them and encourage them to do it and support them uh, because I think that is a way that we can really start to you know have an impact on the world through yoga. Well, Jared, I appreciate your support in so many ways by coming on this podcast, by doing yoga, by partnering with me on this business and just being an all around stand up guy and really great friend. So thank you for everything. And we'll be talking soon. Thanks so much, Henry. Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. 
take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week, and until then, keep living your Dharma.